Philippians chapter 1. This is going to be a part two sermon, really what we looked at last time I preached. In Philippians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 10 and 11. The question I have for you this morning is, God at work in your life? Jesus said in John chapter 15 verse 5 that He was the vine, and that we as His people are His branches. And whoever abides in Him, and He in us, He it is that will bear much fruit. For apart from Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. He said in verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. These were the words of Jesus Christ. And really, it is a description of two types of people. People that merely profess to have a faith in Jesus Christ. They just say it with their mouth, but there is... No life in that branch. There is no life in that limb. They are not His. They might say that they are His, but truly, they show it with their lives that this is not the reality of their life. It is they that this Scripture teaches are the fruitless branches, withering and dying, and eventually they will be cut off and thrown into the eternal fire. The other person that this text speaks of is one who actually possesses faith in Jesus Christ. They have a living and active faith. It it thrives with life from the vine, Jesus Christ. It is evident that this branch is an extension of the vine itself. Their life is full of fruit. It is vibrant and alive for Jesus Christ. Are there many areas in their life that they still need to work on? Yes, absolutely. But as the text tells us in John chapter 15, they are always pruned by the Father, disciplined by the Father that loves them, so that they would even produce more fruit. They abide in the vine Jesus Christ, and He abides in them. They bear much fruit for the kingdom. And the good they do, it's not their own, as the text says. It is all because of the fact that their Master is at work in them. For what did Jesus say there? Apart from Him, we can do absolutely nothing. That is nothing good, nothing righteous. Paul believed this church in Philippi was a part of the vine. That they were in Christ. That they were truly those who were born of, again, born of God. The people of God. He is certain of it. Remember what he said in verse 6, he said there that God had started a good work in them. And that he was confident, he was sure that God that had began that good work in them would bring that work to completion. He would finish what he started. He was confident of this because of the lives that they lived. Because not only their love for him, but their love for God. Their love for God's mission. Their love for God's people. Their love for this gospel going forth in the world. They were not afraid to stand with the Apostle Paul even when he was in prison. In other words, they were those who actually feared God rather than men. And because he 
loved them, because he knew that this church was truly the people of God, because he cared for them, and Paul, he desired for them to continue to bear fruit, he prays for them. And that's what we looked at last time we were in the book of Philippians. If you remember that, we talked about that love that he prayed that they would have. That that love for one another would abound more and more. Remember that Paul, he desires this church to be a unified body of believers. And so he prays for them that they would love one another more and more that would help accomplish that unity. And not only would they love, that their love would abound more and more. In other words, they already had love, but he was praying that they would continually grow in more and more love for one another. As we looked at last time, this was not a blind love. This is not the world's definition of love. It was an active, sacrificial love. A devotion to others. It was more than a feeling. 1 Corinthians 13, it tells us what love is. What biblical love is. It's patient. It's kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things. Love endures all things. This is the love that Paul prayed for for this church. It was a biblical love. Not only that, he prayed that this love would be informed by Scripture. That they would have knowledge on how to love. It would be informed by the truth of God's Word. That knowledge that could only come from God. He said of them that he prayed that they would have all discernment. That is insight into what is right or wrong. They were able to peer into situations and know how to love people rightly. Able to have insight on how to love people. How to rightly love people. Not that blind love that we looked at last time. This was Paul's prayer for them. And this is where we pick up. He continues in there in verse 10. In verse 10, he says he, he's, he's desired that they would have that knowledge and that insight so that they may be able to, as verse 10 says, approve what is excellent. That's what he prays for them. That they would have this type of love, this this love that was informed by Scripture, it had knowledge and insight or discernment. Why did Paul want this for them? So that they may approve what is excellent. In other words, they might choose what is best. They might test to see what is best. The best way to love, that is what is in view here. This is a pressing forth, a desire to love each other better and better to the best of our ability. This is what Paul is asking God for in this verse 10. That's how he starts it off, that they would be able to prove what is excellent. Love based on the knowledge of God's Word with insight on how, on what is right. And that love with insight would look into the individual situations and seek them to love them as God would have them. And he says here, so they may choose to love to an excellent degree, is what Paul is talking about here. To a higher and higher level, to a higher degree, to a godly 
degree. And this is what biblical love does. And this is the essence of what it means to live out the Christian life. It is to love. Remember, all of the laws summed up with love God and love your neighbor. And this is what God has called us to. And as the church, we are especially called to love one another. As Jesus said, this is how people would know that we were His disciples. Paul here is desiring for the church at Philippi to be united, to have one mind, one purpose, and one mission for God. And a part of how they would get there is that they would have love for one another. And that's what this text is all about. Not only that, he he desires that their love would continue to grow, that their knowledge would continue to grow, that their insight on how to love would continue to grow, and that their desire for what is excellent would continue to grow. That they would not be satisfied where they are. That as believers, they would have a constant desire to grow more and more, a constant desire to be excellent in the eyes of God. A constant desire to do what God says is excellent. And really, this should be the desire of every single believer. Every single believer should know in their heart that they have not arrived. You're not there yet. You need to grow more. You need more sanctification in your life. This is true of every single one of us. Every single one of us should have a desire to pursue excellence in this life. Some might ask, why would I need to pursue excellence? I have Jesus. Isn't that enough? I want you to think about this for a moment. You say you love God. You are, you say you're grateful for the cross of Christ. You say you're amazed by His grace. You say you are grateful for His salvation. And yet, there is no pursuit of excellence in your life for Him? He has done all this for you and now you desire to be complacent? God has paid it all. He has given up His one and only Son for you. He has loved you so much and now you would desire to be complacent? No. Far be it from any of us to live this way. May the church pursue what is excellent in the eyes of God. May we constantly, every single single day of our life, pursue what God would deem to be excellent. What is different from the world. What is pure. What is higher. What is of God. That is what we are to be pursuing. You might ask this morning, well, how do I get there? How do I know what is excellent? Well, that comes through that knowledge we've already spoke about. The knowledge of His Word Go there. Go to His Word. Go to it often. Soak it up. Feast on all of who God is. Know His commandments. He desires then that you would then live them out. This is what He desires of us if we were to live in an excellent way. Paul moves on in verse 10 to say that He desires for them to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. In other words, he's, he's calling them to not a hypocritical love. That's what he desires for them. He desires for them to be sincere and blameless. Let me explain. If you constantly, 
if you are constantly loving people outwardly, but secretly hate what you are doing for them, that is not love. That's hypocrisy. That's you playing a part. That's you putting on a mask for the public to see. That is not love. That's hypocrisy. If you are loving others to be seen by others, to be praised by others, to receive glory from men, that's not love. That's hypocrisy. If you are loving others so that you might be loved in return, if you are loving others with secret motives, secret desires, this is not the love that the Scriptures call us to. This is not love that issues from a pure and blameless heart as this text says. This is a person who says one thing and does or believes in something totally different. This is what I would call hypocrisy. And Paul, he is calling the church there at Philippi to something completely different. He is calling them to a true, a pure, a sincere, a blameless love for others. Paul had a similar desire for Timothy to not love hypocritically. In 1 Timothy 1.5, he said there to Timothy, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. This is what Paul desired for the Philippian church also. That they would be sincere and blameless. Let's look at these two words. What does he mean by sincere and blameless? Well, that word sincere, Dr. Steve Lawson, he gives us a good definition for it. That word sincere, it's a very interesting word. Literally, in the original language, it means to judge by sunlight. And in the first century, in ancient Rome, fine pottery was very fragile. It easily developed cracks, and people would cover up those cracks with wax. And sometimes, they would then sell them in the marketplace. And the only way to judge the condition of that fine piece of pottery would be to hold it up to the light and judge it by the light to see if there were cracks that had been covered over with deception. Steve Lawson goes on to say, to be sincere means to that there is no cover-up in your life. To be sincere means there's no cracks in your life. That you're not trying to hide in your life who you truly are. That there is integrity and wholeness about your life. This word sincere means it carried the idea of being without wax, without cracks. And there is a genuine wholeness about your life. There are no different components to you. This is what the Apostle Paul was looking for them, that church in Philippi to be. That in their love, in their devotion to one another, that they would not be saying one thing to people's face face, and meaning something completely different in their hearts. They would not be two different types of people. They would not be two-faced or backbiting. They would be sincere in their words and in their actions. Not one person on Sunday and a completely different person throughout the week. Sincerity that came from the inside out. A wholeness to the person. Integrity in the person's life. This is what Paul's hope for this church was. 
he says, not only sincere, but also blameless. You could translate that word blameless as not stumbling. Paul here is praying that the Philippian church would not stumble into sin. He's praying that the the Philippian church would not be continuously following into various sinful tendencies. Instead, that they, they would be a people without blame. If we were to apply that on how they were to love others, it would be that they were not causing others to stumble. That they were not causing others to stumble into sin. They were not giving reason for offense. They were not causing their fellow church members, their fellow brethren to continually fall into sin. Put those two concepts together this morning. So they were to be integrous, they were to be sincere, and they were to walk out a sincere life. And that life would then lead others to desire to live that same life. And it wouldn't cause others to have offense or cause others to stumble and fall into sin. That's what Paul is speaking of here. And you might say this morning, well, how do I get there? How do I become sincere and blameless in this life? Well, first off, I must note that this is not perfection. But it should be direction in our life. It should be the very direction of our life. And and how is it that we get there? First, again... We need to look to His Word. We need to look at how God has asked us to live. How has He said that the Christian is to live out this faith? We would see that we are to walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. And that we are to be killing sin every single day in our life. That daily we are to resolve to put to death the deeds of the flesh. To walk in sincerity. To not cause others to stumble. To not stumble ourselves. In other words, we need to resist. We need to resolve to resist gossip. To resist slander. To resist empty praise. To resist worthless words. To resist saying one thing, but meaning something completely different. We need to resolve in our lives to not use our members as instruments of sin, but instead... As instruments of righteousness. We need to resolve to do nothing that would cause a brother or sister in Christ to stumble. Nothing that would cause another to sin. And most importantly, like the Apostle Paul did for the Philippians, we must pray. Remember how I started this sermon today that we are absolutely nothing without Christ. And we must be fully dependent on Him in prayer if we ever seek to be sincere and blameless in this life. Paul, he ends verse 10 with those words, for the day of Christ. In other words, this prayer is directly tied to that good work that God had started in these believers in verse 6. Remember what verse 6 said, He said, and I am sure of this, the Apostle Paul speaking, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Remember, God is going to complete the work that He starts within a believer's life. He's going to complete that work and when? On the day of 
Christ. And so Paul is praying that God would continue his work within the Philippians. Continue his work within these believers. And that through God the Holy Spirit, these believers would progressively be changed from one degree of glory to the next. That they would be growing in godliness. They would be growing in Christ-likeness in their life. That's what we've looked at in this text. That they are those who are loving more and more. They are devoted to loving God and loving others. More and more they're growing in knowledge and in discernment. More and more they have a desire for what is excellent in their life. More and more they're living with sincerity, integrity. More and more walking in purity of life. Less and less stumbling into sin and causing others to stumble. For when? When is the culmination of all of this? For the day of Jesus Christ. That last day when we stand before our glorious Lord. There we will be His spotless bride, washed clean purely by His blood, clothed in His perfect righteousness on that day, made right only by Jesus Christ. We will only be there. We will only stand before the Lord at that day in Christ because of what He has done. But I want to tell you this, because of the newness of life that He has given us in His name, that we have received in Him, As His people, we will be defined on that day as the faithful who continually grew in holiness to the Lord. Who continually grew in sanctity to Him. Who continually walked in faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is there before Christ. That only what is done for Him last. That's what that day will be all about for the believer. Only what is done in Him will last on that day. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what He has done in the body of Christ. If you are in Christ, you will not be judged for your sin on that last day but only what you did for Christ Jesus. What you did for His body, His church, His people, for others. Did our love abound all the more? Did it abound more and more? You know, love, that word, it's so watered down in our day. We love to say we love everything. I love candy, I love cake, I love ice cream, whatever it is. I love daylight saving time. No, no, none of us would say that. <laughs> anyway, that word is so watered down, we hardly even know what it means in this life. We hear it all the time. A better word in the English language that can, that can describe for us what biblical love is, is devotion. We still understand what that word means. We barely understand what love means. So I'll ask you the question, have you been devoted to other people? Are you devoted to God Almighty? How sincere were you in your devotion towards Him and towards others? How blameless were you as you walked out this Christian life? Did you cause your brothers and sisters to stumble in this life? When we stand before Him, all the hay, wood, and stubble of our life will be burnt up and only what is done for Jesus Christ Only that will remain. Will any of this, of what Paul says here, 
in Philippians chapter 1 be true of your life? Will you have these works? Will you have this in your life? Will you have this fruit of righteousness in your life on that last day? Will you have this sincerity, this love in your life on that day? In verse 11, Paul states that when we arrive there on that last day and we stand before Christ, that this will be true of all of God's people. Of all those who are in Christ, this will be true of them. That they will be filled with the fruit of righteousness. That should be true of every single believer. Every single one of us. Filled with the fruit of righteousness as we stand before Christ. That is, that their faith, it was not dead. It was not the faith without works that is clearly dead. Instead, this was a living and active faith. This is one who's been saved by the grace of God, who's been set aside by God for His work, His purpose, and His plans. He is one that stands before God on that day, full of righteousness, fruit of righteousness, because they were used of God in this life. They were one as Christ spoke of, of the seed that fell on the good soil. You remember the parable of the sower, what he said about the grain that produced much fruit, growing up and increasing, yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. This is true of every believer in Christ Jesus, a life filled with the fruit of righteousness. I want you to think about this text here in Philippians 1. This prayer of the Apostle Paul. This fruit of righteousness he speaks of. What is it? Well, it's the abounding love for others. It's the pursuit of excellence in this life. A pursuit of the things of God, the higher things in this life. It is sincerity, integrity, purity. It's walking in a blameless way. John MacArthur, he makes note of this verse saying this. So you have here then a view of the believer who arrives on that day of Christ. And because he he has loved and because he's pursued excellence and because he has maintained integrity, he he has a life that is filled with good works. And he comes there having already been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which are the fruit of love, excellence, and integrity. That should be true of every single one of us on that day. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now don't hear me wrong today. This righteousness, it does not produce our salvation. It is a product of our salvation. Paul doesn't give any credit for us for this work. He doesn't give us any credit for what we will do for the Lord. No. We only get the credit for the bad in our life. That's on us. The righteousness, the fruit, it comes through the vine and only through the vine. Through Jesus Christ. As he says there clearly in verse 11, it says there, it only comes through Jesus Christ. So remember this today. We are absolutely nothing apart from Jesus Christ. What are we apart from Christ? Sinners that can only sin. 
doing nothing that honors God in our life. And it's only through the vine, through Christ, that we can do what honors God, what glorifies God. It only comes through Christ Jesus. Please hear me today. As Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Only as a part of that vine, only in Christ. This is our only hope to stand before God and have a fruit of righteousness in our life. So, The only hope we have for that fruit of righteousness is to be a living branch of the vine. Think about that picture of what we get in John chapter 15. That is to say a believer has literally the life of Christ flowing through us. That is to say that we are an active member in the body of Christ. That we are a working member directed by the head of the body, Jesus Christ. From the moment you were saved, the moment that you gave your life to Christ and the Holy Spirit of God indwelt you as a believer, you were then connected to the vine. The moment you were indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit, you have been producing fruit in your life. And you will be producing fruit in your life for the entirety of your life. And there will be a day, the day of Christ, where you will stand before Him. And as this text says, as a believer, you should be full of the fruit of righteousness. And I'm going to tell you today, this is the reality of everyone who has been born again. And it's not so we can be praised. It's not so people would get give us all the credit. It's not so people would make much of us. It's all for Him. Christ's coming, His his coming into the world, His living a perfect life, His dying a sacrificial death, He being our ransom, our propitiation, our wrath bearer, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the salvation that only comes through Jesus Christ and His perfect work, the grace alone, the faith alone, in Christ alone that we read so often about, and this new life that we receive in Christ, this new life in Him, the walking by the Spirit, the fruit of righteousness in this life, the eternity that we will receive in Him, the saving us for all of eternity, the making us His holy people, His holy nation. This is what it is all for, Paul states in verse 11 to the glory and praise of God. This is what it's all about. To the glory and praise of our God. In John chapter 15, it states that Christ, He is the vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. John 15, 8 says, By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Each and every one of our lives, they should be bringing glory to God. As believers in Christ, this is what's true of us from Scripture. Our lives should be bringing glory to God. Steve Lawson, he makes a profound point about this verse. It will really help us to see that this is truly all about God. 
to paraphrase his point. No one walks through a garden, through a beautiful garden, and gives credit to the branches. No one walks through the garden that's full of fruit and life and is vibrant and gives credit to the branches. Where's all the credit go? To the gardener. To the vine dresser. To the one who tends and prunes the branches. To the one who cares for the branches. And this is what God's doing in our life. He is the one that oversees our sanctification. It is He that works in us. Remember what Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. This is why it brings glory and praise to God. Because God is ultimately the one who is overseeing our sanctification and overseeing our Christian growth and development. He's the gardener. He gets all the credit. He gets all the praise. He gets all the glory. It is all about Him. I want to finish today with applying this text to our lives. So let's think about it. Are you, this morning, a fruitful Christian? Do you have a living and active faith? Are you an almost Christian, as Alistair Begg says? An almost Christian is not a Christian, in case you were wondering. That is, an almost Christian is one who can say all the right things about Jesus Christ, but you do not love Him, and you do not know Him. He's not precious to you, you are not devoted to Him, you do not know Him, and Christ does not know you. This is what it means to be an almost Christian. A true Christian will produce a fruit in their life. They will be growing in the Spirit. We've looked at a portion of that fruit of the Spirit today. If you were to take a section out of that fruit, one of those sections would be love. Devotion to others. Is this true of your life today? Is there godly fruit in your life today? If there's no godly fruit in your life, then there is no God in your life. A living faith will be a part of the vine. And as a branch of the vine, you will be fruitful. The life of the vine is in you. The Spirit of the Holy God is in you. You will be fruitful if you are a living branch. Jesus said that dead branches are cut off and thrown into the fire. In other words, those who profess faith but have no real saving faith are fruitless and dead and are to be cut off and thrown into the fire. That's what he says in verse 6. John 15, verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. This is the truth of God's Word. Fruitless branches have no true relationship with God. Could you imagine saying that you love someone? That you were close to someone? And there's nothing in your life that showed that reality? Could you imagine that? I love my wife. 
but I don't know who she is. I don't spend any time with her. I don't do anything for her. I only know a few superficial things about her, but I love her. I think your wife would beg to differ. Many in this life say they love Christ. They say they know Christ. They say they are Christ's, but they know nothing of Him. They live a life that shows completely to the contrary. They're what the Bible calls false converts or false Christians. Jesus Himself said that this is what would happen to those that only profess to know Him. They would be those dead branches that were cut off. In Matthew chapter 7, He talks about there, again, the fruitful Christian, the fruit of our life. In verse 719, He says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And do mighty works in your name? And Jesus Christ will declare to them on that day, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. Please hear me today. Christians are a fruitful people. I do not say this this morning so you'll try to earn your salvation. That you'll try to make yourself right before God on your own merit. It's not possible. George Whitfield said, that trying to earn your way to heaven through good works is as futile as trying to climb a rope of sand to the moon. Did you get that? It's as worthless, it's as futile as trying to climb a rope of sand to the moon. In other words, it's impossible. Apart from Christ, we are dead branches, only fit for the fire. That is who we are apart from Jesus Christ. We must first have the life of the vine flowing through us. And that only comes through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. It only comes through the new life granted to us through Him. I'm telling you this morning, as a living branch of Christ, we are to be a fruitful people. I say this to you this morning that you would examine your heart. Examine your heart today. Be honest with yourself today. Ask yourself the question, who? Who are you? Who do you live for? Are you one who has trusted in Christ and you've been transformed by Him? Or are you one who says they know Christ? But you do not honor Him as Lord. He is not the one you trust in for salvation. He is not the only Savior in your mind. You're still trusting in yourself. You're still trusting in your own works. You're still hoping that you'll be able to get there without Christ. If you are His, today please, 
My prayer for you is like the Apostle Paul's prayer. That what we would learn from this text, what we would take away from this text, what we would apply to our lives from this text, is that our love would abound more and more to each other. That we would have devotion for one another. And that devotion, that love, it would be with all knowledge and insight as how to love each other rightly. And that we would approve what is excellent. And that we would be sincere and blameless in this life. And that every single one of us in this room would be filled on that last day with the fruit of righteousness that came through Christ Jesus. And all of it, the life you live for Christ, is for the glory and praise of God. That is my encouragement to you today. Live for Him and His glory.